0: As Bob mentioned, Exodus is really a book about faith. Joshua. Sorry, did I say Exodus now? <laughs> I'm getting closer. Joshua <laughs> is a book about faith. Yeah.
1: Exodus is also a book about
0: Daily faith. Bible reading and Genesis. A lot of comparisons with the Exiting Exodus or Exiting Egypt in Exodus, so we will get there eventually. I'll try to get my We'll <laughs> pretend. I'll try to get my name there. Joshua is a book about faith, and we see God mentioning that multiple times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and have faith. Because it would be a time that it would be needed. Because the first time Israel tried this, the first time they got into the land, they went and looked at the land. What did they see? What was their report?
1: Scary. Scary? The land is great, but the inhabitants are bigger and stronger and... and
0: we're yeah, We love the land. It's flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. And they refused to enter. God told them, I will be on your side, and they still refused to enter. They were going through that again. There were still giants in the land. We see they had started to conquer that back as Rahab told them in chapter 2 when they conquered Sihon and Og. Og was probably one of those giants, the Bible tells us. They had started conquering the giants. They had started taking what they said was too big. But God was going to push them further. And God was going to do it in his way. This was not going to be a time where Israel could summon up a big army. And this was not going to be a time where they could look back and say, It was our strength and our might and our power that got us the land. God was going to make that abundantly clear. This is not you. This is me that's with you. And we see that at the end of chapter 4. If you remember, they set up their memorial stones as they passed through. And Joshua told them, When your sons and your uh, offspring ask, What did the stack of stones mean? He told them, You shall let them know, verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, and that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear your God forever. God was going to do this in a way that the people would be able to tell this was from God. And we see Rahab understands that. Rahab's like, we know. There's nothing we can do. Our hearts melted. We'll see that phrase in chapter 5, verse 1. Their hearts melted. The people are beginning to hear, they crossed the Jordan River, which was at flood stage. It was not just a piddly little brook. It offered some protection for these kings. And once they got through, the kings realized that was our last line of defense was that river. Once they got in, and they're in and they're about to take the land. So you might say it's an opportune time to attack. Strike while the iron's hot. The people are scared. God's with us. We've been doing some cool things. Let's go. But it's kind of interesting what God tells them to do in chapter 5. So let's read Joshua 5, verse 2 through 9. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came up out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come up out of Egypt. For all the people who came up had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came up out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. We may talk about Gilgal at the end, or we may continue to talk about it, because that's where they'll place their camp. This is not a good battle strategy, if you're looking at taking the land. (laughs) Strike while the iron's hot, and God says, No, wait. I want you to do something that's important. So he had Joshua circumcise the men, including the adult men, including the soldiers, we see this in Genesis. Let's see where was at Genesis thirty-four. If you remember, uh, Shechem saw Dinah, one of the one of the sisters of the twelve sons of Jacob, and he raped her. And in that story, he wants to marry her. He asks to marry her, and Levi and Simeon are like, you know what? We'll marry you. We'll let you marry her under one condition. And that's if all your soldiers get circumcised. And Shechem, who really wanted the marriage to go through, gladly did that. And as soon as the men were circumcised and couldn't move, Levi and Simeon went through the city and wiped them all out. Um, This is not a situation you want to put your soldiers in. And this was not something that would just be in and over in a day. It could take two to three weeks. And the Bible tells us they camped here until they had healed. It's just a little note in there. God's making them wait, wait for my timing, wait for me, wait for me to act. And we know, again, as Tommy has had you all do, think back to the Exodus, think about the comparisons. When they left Egypt, what had God instructed to do? What were some of the things he had them do?
2: They were observing the Passover. Okay, they were
0: to observe the Passover. <laughs> they had to
2: throw out all the leather. Okay. And um, get all the Egyptians to get them jewelry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, clean the Egyptians out. Also, in there, God had them be circumcised. And we see that mentioned here that all the people that had come up out of Egypt <laughs> were circumcised. The people there had to be circumcised too. Again, another glimpse of the Exodus. We see a Passover and we see circumcision. And as part of this, they are being circumcised. They are waiting for God. And it's kind of interesting. What happens at the end of that day? They observe the Passover. They're clean to observe the Passover. That's what God tells them in Exodus. He's like, anyone that eats this Passover must be circumcised. You see that? Let's see. It's in Exodus? Where's that? Exodus... Uh, Exodus 12, 43 through 49. God tells them, look, as part of this eating the Passover, I want you to be circumcised. No one that's not circumcised needs to eat it. It was a sign of the covenant that God had. So all the ones who had come out of Egypt had been circumcised, but because of their lack of faith, God had them destroyed in the wilderness. So what was the purpose of circumcision? I mean, nowadays it's more of a choice. But what was the purpose then?
1: A sign of the covenant.
0: Okay, a sign of the covenant. We see God tell that to Abraham in Genesis 17 as God meets with him. Turn over there. Genesis 17... Starting about verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your generations after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And he goes on to tell them, Circumcised at the eighth day. But it was a sign of the covenant God had with Abraham. And we see it, circumcision mentioned multiple times. Again, we see it, it was part of preparing for the Passover in Exodus 12. That God had the people be circumcised. Uh, It's mentioned in the law. If you have a male child, you shall circumcise them on the eighth day in Leviticus 12. So at the beginning of God's covenant, we see it as being a physical thing that the people would do. To show a sign, to be a sign of the covenant. A sign that they were different. And it's kind of interesting, as you work your way through the Old Testament, it begins to change slightly. So it primarily meant physical. If you look in Deuteronomy 10, God begins making a slight change to make it mean something more spiritual. And it's kind of interesting. We see that it's mentioned in Deuteronomy 10. So Deuteronomy 10. Moses has just written the second pair of tablets. He's recounting that. And so he goes up on the mountain. He writes the tablets like he does. The first time. And then. God's talking to him. And it says in verse 12, And now Israel, what does your Lord require of you but to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, and to love him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments and his statutes, which I command you for And it's for your good. So he said, this is what you're supposed to do. And then in verse 15. Yeah, verse 15. The Lord delighted in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. These people understood what circumcision of the flesh was. And God's like, I want you to do something else. The sign of the covenant is you circumcise the flesh. You're also, as part of this covenant, going to need to circumcise your heart. And we see God talking to a stiff-necked people as he was talking about, God picked you when you were a little nation and God chose you above everyone else to be a sign to the people around you. Circumcise the flesh, circumcise the heart. And then as Moses is giving his Last address to the people in Deuteronomy 30. And he's telling them there's going to be a time what God promised is going to come true. God's going to take you into the land. In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 5, then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love your God, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And we see this also mentioned in Jeremiah. Um, that it got to be where Jeremiah is talking about God's going to judge the nations in Jeremiah chapter 9. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. This is about verse 25 that I will punish all those who are circumcised with the uncircumcised, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners to dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. So God's saying it's going to become a time when it's not just a physical sign that's going to tell my people. Because he says, Jeremiah, I'm going to wipe out both of you. The uncircumcised and the circumcised, because the circumcised weren't. The circumcised were uncircumcised in the heart. We see, ultimately, God is wanting the heart of these people as they trust Him. And it took a physical sign, circumcising the soldiers, to tell Israel, You're going to wait. You're going to wait for my timing to take the land. God is going to give it to you. But you are going to wait. And so they had finished circumcising and they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. They're just waiting. They're just waiting on God to tell them. And verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. You might have a footnote in your Bible. Gilgal means circle. The word related to Gilgal means circle or rolling. So where God rolled away the reproach was Gilgal, which sounds like the word for rolling. So the place of the rolling, God rolled away the reproach of Israel. In what way did God roll away the reproach? or what is What is that phrase there to indicate?
1: I'm not sure if it goes as far as like declaring them all clean and holy and blameless but there's that hint of we are we God and I, God and the people are on the, have the, our relationship is right at this point it's like, it's almost like starting afresh, more so than like, oh you're forgiven of all your sins and everything's good and whatever but it's our relationship is is solid now.
0: Right. It was a new beginning. Yeah. And what better time to do that, right? Than at the beginning when they're about to take the land. God's like, okay, let's wait. Let's stop. Let's start fresh. Yeah, Brad. It's interesting that he says the reproach of Egypt. Um, So I wonder if like during while they were in Egypt, they just didn't circumcise their uh, children, and they kind of brought that forward. Uh, He tried to start it in Exodus, and then they, but it just wasn't part of their uh, habit or their culture uh, again, and maybe it's just. The influence of Egypt. I don't know. Do you have any insight on that? I don't either, because if you read through it, it mentions like in the section of nine or two through nine, how many times is it mentioned they're circumcising them because they weren't circumcised, but they were when they came out of Egypt, but then they didn't. God seems to be making a big point. Like you guys were wandering in the wilderness? I don't know why they couldn't have done it then, right? I think it, was a, it showed a time when they had a lack of faith in God. And God has said, You're going to be punished. And He's like, Okay, before we can get anywhere, let's start fresh on this covenant thing. I told Moses, or not I told Moses, I told Abraham, and then I told Moses, When you came out of Egypt, and he, mentioned, he mentions a couple times, this is the second time, verse 2, it mentions it's the second time. So I don't know if this is the time after Egypt. He's like, I've already had to tell you two times already. I told Abraham that that was a message that needed to get translated down. He's like, I told you in Egypt, and now I'm telling you here. It is interesting. Yeah, Phil?
2: Yeah, it, I mean, so they were led into Egypt, so to speak, into captivity to teach them a lesson. And one word he said, the shame of Egypt uh, rolled away, the shame of Egypt from you. So that was kind of a demean, shameful existence as slaves in a nation. And now God's saying, now I am I am freeing you into this new world, this land that was my original intention and giving it to you. I'm, I'm, I don't know. i
0: In typical God Providence fashion, I think there's a lot of layers to unwrap with this idea of this is a second exodus. Um, There's a lot of themes of slavery that it was not a pretty picture in Israel's history. I mean, they got out of slavery, they hit a wall in the wilderness, they don't have water, they're running out of food, and they're like, oh, those melons in Egypt is the best thing ever. And God's like, I think you're missing the point.
1: There is probably a lot
0: more to this. Slavery being a reproach. Being uncircumcised being a reproach. Not being part of the covenant. Were you going to say something he else? And wanted
2: to give it to them 40 years ago, but they refused it at that time. <laughs> it's like, but now finally we can get rid of this shame. Of the right. Place. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and there were a lot of people, and it mentions multiple times in this section. A lot of people died because of their lack of faith. Well, Joshua and Caleb are the only two men that came after that. Right? And God's telling them, only you two are going to be the ones that see the land. And as a nation, you're wandering for 40 years for no other purpose than the people that showed faithlessness to die and you're just waiting and you're just waiting and you're just waiting and you're just waiting and God's providing you food he provided them manna he provided them water from a rock all along the way God is providing for them and they're still waiting and waiting and waiting and they're like finally we get to take the land and God says no, you're going to wait some more God's wanting them to have faith
1: And I mean, it, it is so rich when you think about it from a, a tactical standpoint. If God was going to require them to be circumcised and all of the soldiers to be incapacitated for two to three weeks, it would have made more sense to stay on the east side of the Jordan during that time. They'd already conquered that land. They, they would have the barrier of the flood-stage Jordan as a protection for them from the kings on the left side as well as going the other way. I mean, that would have made sense. And, but then, no, they cross, and so now the water has come back to flood state. So just like at the Red Sea, they're trapped against water between them and an army, and it's only, again, God standing between the two um, that keeps them safe. So it's like, yeah, this this... Tactically, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and oh, why don't we leave our kids and wives on the other side of the river so that we can not worry about them and uh, they're out of the way so that we don't have to. You know, all of they're safe over there, and we'll go fight the battle. Then we'll come get them. And you know no, those were none of those were the options.
0: Right. And again, you just see so much from Exodus. And maybe it should be no surprise because isn't that what happens in that picture of what happens when God delivers his people? You see a lot of the same themes, You see a lot of the same words. You see a lot of the same concepts. What you see is a God that's always been faithful to his covenant who delivers his people when they don't deserve it because Israel sure didn't deserve it. But time and time again, he gives them chance after chance so they're keeping the Passover and it's kind of interesting, it talks away rolling the reproach away it's foreshadowing something really powerful, rolling away the reproach at a Passover ultimately many years later the ultimate reproach would be rolled away at a Passover When the song we sing, the final perfect lamb was slain. That song, Hallelujah for the Cross. In Psalm 69, um, it mentions this. We see a time when God's servant, it's a psalm for plea for help. And the person in the psalm is talking about a time when reproaches would be born. And it's kind of interesting who bears the reproach. So, Psalm 69. I'll go on and just read the whole nine verses because it's rich, and maybe that'll lead to more discussion. So, it's an urgent plea in time of trouble. As and as the psalm starts Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in mire, and there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry and my eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness and let my sins be not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord, the God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me. Because of your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. You see a lot of verbiage in there. It reminds us of Jesus. As we think about the Passover where God rolled away the reproach. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The insults of those that are insulting God are borne by this person speaking. There would be a time that God would roll away the reproach. By having the one who did nothing bear that reproach. It's just a really powerful idea that God uses Passover, that God uses circumcision, that God uses covenant continually through the Bible to show his people, this is me saving you. This is not because you are a good nation. This is not because you are the best nation. God chose you. And God wanted you. But most importantly, God wants your hearts. Back in Joshua 5, verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate of the food of the land of Canaan that year. It had something as I read it through this time. I had not, I had forgotten that God had been feeding them manna this whole time. That every day, except for the last day when they were together too, not to pick up food on the Sabbath. Every day, God had been providing them with food through a place with no food. And then they get to the land. The spies had seen it. They're like, this is a fantastic land. Let's go. It's flowing with milk and honey. There was a problem of the giants. But God says, after you get everything right, after you cleanse your heart, after you cleanse your skin, the very next day, he stops the manna and says, you can eat of the land I promised you. God was providing again. The land, the food, and the land. Any thoughts through verse twelve? Any things you noticed?
1: With the manna, um, so God had sustained them in the wilderness with manna, and it was it was sufficient. It was it gave them what they needed to do what they needed to do. But once they got into the promised land, then there was this. Bounty beyond mere sustenance, uh, beyond survival. So there was an abundance, uh, it was a variety of things. Instead of just manna, that could be boiled, baked, chopped up, whatever. There was fruit, there there was all different kinds of grain, there was all this stuff. Um, and it just, once they had gone through that period of the wilderness and entered into <coughs> the promised land... The blessings of God overflow. I mean, even in this one little area, and it sometimes it's kind of like you. Part of it, you know, you can get your comparison between this life and life in heaven makes sense, and how much better it's going to be, but also just when you're in one of those times when you think you're on a subsistence level just to remember that there is this bounty waiting it's it's there so and it's also kind of weird that in one sense he cut their supply line once they crossed the river but
0: yeah, yeah Phil. it makes me think of
2: when caleb and joshua and the men went in to spy and they brought back the fruit and as a representation of what, you know, describing the land. And then they were, you know, unfaithful, decided not to go into the land, and God gave them the manna in the first place, and they complained about it, how, you know, how bad it was. And it's almost like this is like the first, kind of the reversal, but the first sign of, look at, again, look at what you missed these past 40 years uh, that you could have been enjoying. I don't know.
0: Right. And I don't think I appreciate how much God blessed this land so the land could bless the people. I mean, for the very fact that the whole nation could eat off the land for the first time. Like, I don't think I understand how much food that is. I mean, a lot of us have pantries that have food stored up in there. If the supply chain got cut off and there was no option for food, like... How long would our food last? Like, but the very fact that God's now providing them with the land that can supply them everything they need to an abundance as long as they stay there. Again, Phil, to your point, look what you missed. By not having faith in God and by not believing and not wanting to enter the land because of the giants. God's like, let me handle the giant. Let me handle the armies. And I will bless you if you do that. And I think this is his sign. Look, I will bless you. And it's amazing how much God can bless. I mean, he tells them and, and one of the prophets, look, I have storehouses that if you prayed for, you, would not, you couldn't understand the abundance. God has storehouses everywhere that he's just looking for people of faith to do what he says so he can use them so that the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you, the person involved, may fear the Lord forever, but also so the nation could see. Any other thoughts?
2: Well, I was reading over there, so I had this, some of the same thoughts. And, you know, when you think about the disciples when they, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, and then we think about the scale of this and the encampment. And a number of people were there, and it kind of dwarfs that, you know. It really does a lot. It's just because we we can't picture it and we don't see it. The, the encampment was miles wide, you know. Just uh, for the people to have a little room between each other, there were so many people, um, and uh, we just can't we we just can't appreciate it. And, we, and how that speaks to the power of God, who can. Uh, Treat them
0: this way one day, and that way the other the next day. Amazing. Yeah. And at times we want to be really hard on Israel, and it's like, how do you guys not have any faith? But then sometimes, how do we not have any faith? Um, In seeing pictures like this, and similar to what they did with Egypt, they saw a lot of cool things as they exited Egypt. I mean, they started off as slaves and by the time they're out of Egypt, they're a nation that has all of the Egyptian stuff. The Egyptian army's drowned in the sea and they come into the wilderness and then they're worried about not having water. It's like, come on guys. But how many times is that us? God will take us out of a situation. He will really bless us. He will get us out of a dark spot. We come to a wall and it's like, what is this? And we'll see Joshua, we see that kind of with AI, with they show a lack of faith, one person shows a lack of faith at AI, and they get defeated, and their people are like, God, like, what is this? Are we just going out into the wilderness to die? No. Again, remember, God's like, have faith. There's a timing I want done, there's a way I want it done, just trust in me, and you will be taken care of. Any other thoughts before we Please continue? I am with you. <laughs> and, yeah. I am with you. That's enough. And sometimes that's hard to see, isn't it? Yeah. Even though he's given them everything. it's Are, are, are you really with me?
1: It's like you want to say, remember what I just did to that river? I just, you know, and he went. So, that's... That was two weeks ago. A week ago, or a day ago, or whatever.
0: As a people, and I think God understands this, we forget. And I think that's exactly why in chapter 4, you see him set up stones. These were events that the people didn't need to forget. Because it's times like this, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6... When God brings them through something. But he's like remember this when you hit a brick wall. God got you through then. God can get you through now. Have faith in him. And chapter 5 is like the chapter when they didn't know where to put this. Because it really didn't fit into crossing the Red Sea. And it really didn't fit into Jericho. So they grouped these kind of three stories together. So verse 1 you have the kings being scared. Verse 2 through. 12, you have the circumcision, and then you just kind of have this little story in verse 13 through 15. Joshua 5, 13 through 15, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua's near Jericho. I don't know if he's doing a reconnaissance mission or what, but he's near Jericho. And he sees a man that has a drawn sword. It's a guy that, I mean, if you draw a sword, you are planning to use it in some way. It's like if nowadays, if you went up to guy and he had a gun out of his holster, like it puts you a little bit on edge. You're like, like what's happening? And so Joshua goes up to him and is like the important question, right? Joshua's like, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? Sounds like a reasonable question to ask, right? You're Joshua, you're like, who are you? Where are you from? Like, He didn't ask, where are you from? What's your name? No, are you for us or against us? Let's let's get this sorted out, and then we'll figure out how this conversation goes. And the man just says, no, I I am the commander of the Lord. Joshua's like, oh, okay. Tell me what you want me to do. and reminiscent of the Exodus and Moses, he says, take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy. What clues in the text, what clues are given in the text to this person's identity?
2: Joshua's worship of him
0: and not being reviewed. Right. When you see God sending messengers, we see this especially with uh, John in the book of Revelation. A me- God's or John's with a messenger of God, and John falls down and worships a messenger, and the messenger's like, "Don't! I'm just a man. Stand up on your feet." It is really interesting that this guy lets Joshua worship. We don't know everything about who this being is. What's the other clue that we get in the text?
1: Holy ground.
0: holy ground, yes. We see that with Moses and the burning bush. The, Moses is keeping his father in law's sheep. And he goes up to the bush. The bush is not the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And the voice calls out, "Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground." We see a idea of God being here.
1: One thing we don't see is that this this person is not described as being um, all shiny and glowy, and you know all of those pictures. And so it's kind of it's interesting that. So there wasn't this immediate, oh, this is exactly who it is. Um, and I also find it kind of. Joshua's a warrior, and so he sees somebody with a naked sword, and his his reaction is not to run, but to approach. And I mean, I don't know if he he had his hand on his his sword or whatever, but I mean, he was he was approaching another warrior and, and then he figured out it was maybe more than a warrior
0: right and it's just God's told him multiple times I'm with you be strong and courageous I'm with you be strong and courageous and then God decides in some form to visit him and Joshua gets the message Joshua initially is like, the real question is, are you for us or against us? And God says, that's not the real question. Are you going to be with me? Are you going to follow me? I'm the commander of the Lord. Joshua gets the message, he bows down, and worships him. Worships the one that he is following. And it just ends there. He says, "Take your sandals off," and Joshua takes his sandals off. And okay, now on to Jericho.
1: We're not privy to the, the planning session that then that occurred. Right. You know.
0: Yes, Bob. Were you going to say something? Uh,
2: when I read this, it kind of made me think about well, the holy the ground is holy because there's the the angel or God or Jesus is there, you know, and that makes the ground holy. Maybe there's a little allegory there too for us that he's standing outside Jericho and Jericho is already God's. It's defeated. And the man's the man's I mean he stands there as, as God's representative the, the city is is gone. It's it's already gone. They haven't done anything to to achieve it. But this just a thought.
0: Right and on your point to the area being holy. We see God asking for some things to be counted as holy. In chapter 6, a little bit of a look ahead, verse 19. But the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, are (laughs) consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. This was the city that God was saying, This is mine. This is holy, treated as holy, because he says, Don't take anything. We see that's not followed by Achan. But he says, don't take anything. In a sense, it's consecrated. It's set apart for a purpose. It's kind of interesting. God's telling, it's it's a reminder. God is not on a side. Joshua's like, are you on a side? God's like, I'm not on a side. Are you on my side? Um. Abraham Lincoln, in one of his conversations with his advisors during the Civil War, as they're thinking about it, they're thinking about the loss of life, and they're thinking about the issue there with slavery and how to get rid of that. One of his advisors was talking to Lincoln and said, I am grateful that God is on our side, the side of the Union. And Lincoln responded, My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Similar to what you see here with Joshua. Are you for us or against us? That's not the question. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to listen? Are you going to have faith? We see here multiple parallels. I was going to write on the board, but I don't usually do well with writing on the board. I don't do well with talking and writing. Um, We see parallels between Joshua and Moses in this. Remember, God told Joshua, you're going to be like Moses. You're going to do things so that people respect you like they did Moses. And some of those in the text, I'll mention a couple and then I'd love to hear what you saw. Um, The enemies were afraid in Numbers 22 because of the things Moses and Israel has done. Their enemies were afraid in Joshua 2. The enemies of Israel were afraid because of what Joshua and Israel had done. Something interesting I hadn't thought about until I was listening to a series on Joshua. Um, Moses had to perform circumcision before he started his task. Um, So if you remember in Exodus chapter 4, God was going to meet Moses to kill him because he had not circumcised his sons. That's in Exodus 4, 19-23. And Zipporah quickly grabs a knife and performs the circumcision so that Moses would not be killed. And so Moses could perform his task. We see Joshua doing that here. They both took off sandals before the Lord. They both met with the Lord. What were some other things you see as we think about the Exodus. And as we think about this story, comparisons between Joshua and Moses, what were some things you you all saw? I mean, this is more chapter 6, but Joshua is going to be the, the messenger of God's message, yeah. just like Moses was. Yes. Yeah, you still get credit if you go ahead get more credit if you can go on and teach the class (laughs) I think it stands out too that these this is a faithful bunch of God's people here's here's quite a change from what we've seen in the wilderness and and all
2: of the times up to this point Uh, it's not just Joshua that uh, shines here but uh, it's, it's the people
0: willing to follow him because they know He's telling them what God wants them to do. And we see that later, right? Because it talks about after the death of Joshua. The people that, people during the life of Joshua followed God and during the elders that were with Joshua. Joshua did a fantastic job in following God and being faithful to him. And that had an impact on the people around him. And maybe that's God's point at the end of chapter 4. Be faithful to me, and the people around you will be able to tell who is God. And who is the one in charge, who is the one in control, who is the one that matters. It's also kind of interesting as we think about the Passover, just multiple Passovers are mentioned. We see the one in Exodus 12, the original one. We see numbers nine where they're given. If you're unclean for the Passover, here's how you partake of it. Joshua five, this Passover. Second Chronicles 30, the Passover with Hezekiah as he restoring, trying to restore worship. Then after Hezekiah, you have Manasseh and Ammon, kings that weren't fantastic. So then Josiah has to re-establish the worship in Second Chronicles 35. Um, Especially with Manasseh, we see child sacrifice, things that were abhorrent to God. Josiah helps bring that back. We see in Ezra, they celebrate a Passover in their return from Babylon in Ezra 6. And then we see a couple Passovers mentioned in John, in John 2, John 6, and John 11. And then all looking forward to the final Passover when... All the sin of reproach, the reproach of sin would be taken away by the lamb that was slain. It's interesting how God in the Old Testament is giving them little glimpses of what he's ultimately going to do. Here's this. Here's the exodus from slavery. Here's the exodus from sin. Here's what happens when you follow me. I will bless you more than you will. And that's God's call to all of us to trust in him. We'll continue with chapter 6 and 7 on Wednesday. Thank you.